What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today we're going to be continuing with our Funding Lab mini-series with my co-host Josh Soloway. And our guest today is security lawyer, securities lawyer Marty Tate. You have to have a built-in fan base already. You have to have that social network build up. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Marty, thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. So, um, Marty, you have been specializing in this Jobs Act stuff and and crowdfunding even before there was a Jobs Act. Talk about, um, if you don't mind, starting in 2010 with with peer-to-peer and lending and and really how you kind of started going into this space. Yeah. um, So I was approached by a company called Yadiap. Um, and a, a few on a couple of entrepreneurs that were had started this uh, um, company. It was a peer-to-peer lending in in a space that uh, you know, some people, um, I guess, frown upon. But it was in the payday lending space, um, and they wanted to do a peer-to-peer payday lending um, uh, platform. They wanted to have the ability for um, basically to um, democratize the payday lending business and allow um, individual investors to extend these short-term um, loans to um, to people and, and, and enter that space. At the time, it was again it was pre-Jobs Act, so there was no um, you know crowdfunding was was not um, something that was being done other than by um, Prosper and Lending. Those were the two models that we had to follow. So we um, dug into those, went down the path of, of trying to understand if we could use that model as a viable payday lending model. Um, and at this, at this time, through this process, I was introduced to um, a few of the pioneers of the JOBS Act. Um, and uh, about that, that was right at the time the JOBS Act was being pushed through. I was able to uh, get to know them and work with them on you know, helping that legislation come to play or um, come to pass, and then uh, really trying to champion it after its uh, passing. So that's that's how my involvement uh, in crowdfunding began. 
Sure. And, and for the various entrepreneurs who maybe aren't in the real estate space or aren't as familiar with this, can you explain what that, um, what those models are as you were referring to lending club and this kind of thing? Yeah. So prosper and lending club, what they were doing and what they still do is, um, you know, they were essentially doing a, a registered offering. Um, meaning, so anytime, you know, anybody sells a security, then that's basically an, an investment opportunity, whether it's debt or equity, um, that the sale of that security has to be registered and, or it has to be offered pursuant to an exemption. Um, at the time, there, pre-Jobs Act, there were no exemptions that really allowed for crowdfunding because there was essentially a ban on what they call general solicitation or advertising um, for, for exempt offerings. So you, if you wanted to offer a you know, security to the masses, you had to register that offering. And um, so that's what Prosper was doing. They were essentially doing a, a public offering on a daily basis where they were updating their, their current public offering daily to uh, register those securities. Um, so at the time, as we looked at that, you know, it was a, obviously a viable model, but a very expensive model, um, especially for a startup. Um, and can you, know, you explain why that would be expensive? Well, you know, unfortunately, there's, it was um, expensive because lawyers are expensive, I think, and, and going through that. <laughs> you know, um, so as we looked at it, it just wasn't viable. We essentially would have to go through the, uh, the process of doing a, a public offering, and then we would have to update that offering on a daily basis, um, which is, again, that's, that's the model that Prosper follows. Um, and you have to have, you know, you can imagine the investment capital you'd have to have, or the startup capital you'd have to have right at the beginning just to get that going and then um, to maintain that. So, um, you know, we estimated it was probably, you know, half a million dollars probably just to go through that process. So, um, so it, it, it was a, I, I, I only bring that up because it was something that um, as we were looking at options, that's how we were put in contact with um, some of the early pioneers that were, that were working on the JOBS Act and helping, um, you know, the members of uh, Congress uh, draft that legislation. And so um, that piqued my interest. And I think um, shortly after the JOBS Act passed, I was uh, given the opportunity to there was a crowdfunding conference here in uh, Salt Lake City, and uh, one of the early, another one of the early champions, a guy by the name of Richard Schwart, um, was put on this this crowdfunding conference and asked uh, if I'd speak at it. And so um, that sort of began. You know, I was at that time introduced to um, a lot of the the people that are, are you know really, if you look at the pioneers of crowdfunding, the, the a lot of those uh, people were there, and I, I was able to interact with them. And, and from then on, I uh, had opportunities to speak with them at other conferences and participate in, in um, committees and um, task force to help move uh, things forward. Well, that's great. And thanks. It's good to have, you know, someone who's had that sort of uh, 
you know, the full cycle of experience all the way through, you know, and it must've been great to have that seat all the way through. You know, I think uh, taking a step back, if we could, just because again, we're, we really want to want to make all of this as accessible and clear. Um, and you've, you've been involved in different types of crowdfunding clearly uh, even before the jobs act. So can you talk a little bit about the various types of, of crowdfunding, be it equity, be it debt. Um, let's start with that, and then we can maybe get a little nuance, but, but let's start there in um, terms of just clarifying the distinctions for people. Yeah, so yeah, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit more. So when people think of crowdfunding, you know, there's a lot of different things that come to mind. I think a lot of people think of, um, when you say crowdfunding, if they have heard of it at all, they might think of Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or um, one of the um, the crowdfunding platforms that are one of the many crowdfunding platforms that are um, operating on what's called a rewards-based or a perks-based model. Um, I've helped, you know, several of my clients have been companies that have done campaigns on either Kickstarter or Indiegogo and, and, um, those models are such that basically you're going on saying, hey, donate to our company. And it's, it's really that. It's a donation. Um, it, it, well, let me back up. It's either a donation and you say, hey, or donate and we'll give you a, a um, T-shirt or, um, you know, I know that bands or, or you know, you'll have musicians that will go out and say, hey, if you help me, you know, if you donate, I'll will give you a CD or I'll give you a T-shirt or a hoodie or whatever. So that's that's kind of the perks-based model. And then you have the pre-sale model, which is um, we're all familiar with um, the campaign that Pebble Watch did, which was a a, uh, um, a watch similar to um, Apple's watch and a precursor to that. And they were able to go out and pre-sell like something like $10 million. Uh, dollars worth of, of these watches. Um, but again, they weren't raising equity or debt. They were just pre-selling. Um, so a lot of people on, you know, if they do a Kickstarter campaign, that's what they're doing is they're just pre-selling their product. Um, and so you contrast that, that model with what the Jobs Act enabled, which was the ability to go and um, sell equity in your company to sell stock in your in your corporation or membership interest in your LLC. Um, or it allowed you to go out and basically sell debt to go and, and you go to the masses and say, hey, here, lend us this money. Um, and the first, again, as I mentioned before, anytime you sell a security, it either has to be registered or exempt. And the first exemption that was that uh, came online under the Jobs Act was they changed uh, a well-known and well-used uh, um, exemption, which is safe harbor exemption, which is Regulation D and 506C, and they expanded it to allow general solicitation. And what that meant is, hey, you could go out and sell in a private offering. You could sell to the masses. Um, through a website or through what, you know, through advertising, through um, billboards, however you wanted to promote that offering of those securities, you could, you could do that. 
Um, the one caveat is that it was limited to accredited investors only. And so uh, where you saw, you know, this really take hold um, and where the most traction has been is in the area of real estate, where a number of these real estate portals have gone out and going back to your question, have sold either equity in real estate projects where people can come and buy, you know, an interest in a company that owns a, a an apartment building, or in most cases they've sold debt where you can go in and buy a piece of a, a loan basically to a developer, to a, uh, you know, a real estate a sponsor that will then go out and, and develop the project and then, you know, pay that loan back over in accordance to the terms. So is that, that answer your question or, or answer your question? And, and, and it does, you and, know, and way more. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I think, um, you know, if we just like, again, if we take a, a step back and just talk about, obviously you've seen all the different roles and you've worked with so many different people, different, uh, different sort of spokes of the wheel that are involved in any successful crowdfund uh, initiative. Um, so let's take it one by one as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, what should I know or bear in mind or think about from a legal perspective, if I'm thinking about a cause or a product-based, let's, let's start with product-based uh, sort of crowdfunding, like something like a Kickstarter, Indiegogo type thing. So this uh, will kind of apply as we talked about um, a regulation CF, um, which is a, you know, a, a, we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but um, with, with regards to a product-based, you know, a Kickstarter campaign, um, I've worked with a number of companies that have had successful campaigns and I've worked with companies that have had um, unsuccessful campaigns. And I think the key to that, and again, this is not really, this is just based on experience and not, you know, there's not a, a lot of sort of legal expertise that goes into this analysis, but it's, it's really just <clears throat> where, where you're selling a product. Um, I think two things, you have to have two things to be successful. Um, one is you have to have a product that generally it ha successful campaigns are based around consumer products, something that you can touch, feel, um, hold, and, uh, or something you can play. I've seen, you know, video games and uh, apps, those be successful as well. You know, people can sort of get their head around it. If it's you're trying to raise a Kickstarter campaign around, a, you know, some sort of SaaS or, or a, a software that, um, you know, you might be able to, even if it's a very useful software, I think people have a hard time getting excited about that. So, um Again, something you can touch, feel. And then in that, within that scope, I found the market's even narrower. It's got to be you know, something that's appealing to you know, probably people from you know, early 20s to mid-30s or, or tend to be the, the uh, um, sort of the, I hate to use the term, but sort of a, a millennial product, something that they can get that gets people excited. Um, so that's the first thing that I, I've seen. And the second thing is you have to have, and this is really true with, you know, a, any sort of crowdfunding campaign, 
you have to have a built-in fan base already. You have to have that social network build up. Um, you have to be very active on you know, Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter. And it's social, you have to have a very strong following and, and on social media and already have people that, that are interested in your product. Um, I've worked with companies that just didn't have that and they had, you know, really just what I would consider perfect products, but their, that social network hadn't been built out. And, uh, I, you know, I've encouraged, I've encouraged clients, Hey, why don't you wait six months and, and really invest some money into or time into building out that your social network so that when you do launch, people are already excited about your product. They're already talking about it rather than trying to generate buzz um, from ground zero. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And that actually dovetails nicely into the other, you know, into, into, the, into the next question, which is, you know, looking at, again, same sort of question. As an entrepreneur, looking at doing a reggae plus versus a crowdfunding raise, um, you know, Reg CF, Reg A Plus, we can get into the nuances there in a minute. But first, let's just start with Reg A Plus. Um, you know, what should I be thinking about as an entrepreneur? Sort of how to, what's my, how should I approach it? Okay. So, you know, a Reg A Plus um, offering, just to um, go into that a little bit. So that that is essentially like a mini IPO. Um, it's a public offering. It's fully registered. You're not offering, you're not operating under an exemption for registration. Um, and under, you know, Reg A Plus is part of the Jobs Act. It, extent, it essentially took a, a current legislation or current regulation, which is Regulation A, and made it more user-friendly, uh, if you will. It's one of the problems with the old Regulation A, which has been around you know, forever, is that it allowed you to do these mini public offerings, but you had to register not only with the SEC, but you had to register to qualify in each state separately. And you can imagine working with 50 different state regulators, and all of them had the ability to say yay or nay and provide their own comments and require their own changes. So there just weren't a lot of Regulation A offerings that had been completed. Um, so Regulation A Plus said, we're going to do away with the state-by-state you know, if you meet certain qualifications, we will do away with the state-by-state -state, um, uh, qualification requirement. We'll just allow you to, to uh, qualify with the SEC. And we will, um, they also raise the dollar amount up to $50 million. So, you know, in, in doing one of those, as an entrepreneur, um, it's, couple things to consider is that a regulation A plus because of the, the dollar amount that you can raise, like you said, up to $50 million, um, it's probably something that's not ideal for a startup. Um, it's probably, it's going to be better served by a company that um, is generating revenue, has um, you know, a, a, a fairly strong track record, has a, a team of experienced, um, you know, managers that are running the company. And it's really designed, I think, to, to fill maybe a later stage round. I mean, as you, you know, go through the, the sort of the cycle of it, 
you're going down the venture capital road and you do a, you know, friends and family, and then you might do a seed round and then a series A and a series B. I see a, a regulation A round or a, doing a reg A offering, a reg A plus offering is something you do a little bit later down the road, maybe after you've done a seed round. Um, because it, it would do a couple of things. One, it would allow you to raise, you know, significant amount of capital from the public markets instead of from the private, but it, it might also um, be attractive to your current investors or or your early stage investors because it would provide some liquidity because the, the shares would be registered and and uh, you, you, you're able to register a certain number of shares in that offering. So um, going back, I guess, to your question about an entrepreneur, I think with a Reg A Plus offering, it's it's more of a, a later stage, more established company. It's, it's a better tool for those those uh, entities, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, uh, let's let's call that for part one of the interview today. Uh, make sure to tune in tomorrow as we ask Marty more of the specifics of how you as an entrepreneur can take advantage of these new securities laws that are really changing the face of, of fundraising for entrepreneurs today. Thanks so much. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.